It's time to get on the ice. Music City Gold is on the air. With Kyle Hancock, Daniel Mangrum, and Matt Bain. We are Smashville's best fan-driven podcast. Featuring news around the league, the Predators, and the occasional hot take or two. Part of the Penalty Box Radio Network. You're listening to Music City Gold. And welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Music City Gold on the Penalty Box Radio Network. I am your host, Kyle. With me, as always, are my co-hosts, Daniel and Matt. Hello. Hey, guys. Boom. Another perfect shot in the frame without me having to mess things up. So, boys, it's been about a month since we have recorded because, you know, we had things like the All-Star Game going on. We had life in general going on. And I can tell you, uh, Matt and Daniel, if we, we could not have picked a better time to start a recording because... In 24 hours, the Preds have made tons of changes, and you know we got notes for this show, but we may just spend the entire hour talking the Preds because there's just so much stuff going on, guys. Yeah, it, it's full on fire sale. It's been hard to keep up with my Twitter feed over the last 12 to 24 hours. I mean, it has been a nonstop onslaught. Uh, we'll get into more of the juicy details, but all I can finally say is it happened. It has finally happened. They have picked a direction in which to go, and I could not be any any more happy. It's it's literally I, I'm I'm ecstatic as a Preds fan today. So, you know, Kyle, I always come very prepared. I always have like done research. I got a ton of notes, but today it's been so juicy that I didn't even really need any notes. It's all right here. I got a couple stats lined up, but other than that. It's been it's been crazy the last yeah forty eight hours or so we've been living it. I cannot wait to talk hockey, Kyle. Well, let's start this episode off on a light note. Boston Bruins goalie Linus Ulmark scores the goalie goal. He is the thirteenth goalie in NHL history. Ironically, the last goalie was Pekarene in twenty twenty versus Chicago to get a goalie goal. And one thing I love seeing is when a goalie gets that goal, they get to finally participate in that you know fist bump line. And Omar looked amazing. I was reading an interview with him, and he said that when he got the goal and the huddle they got around him, they were like, you have to go to the fist bump line. And it's just amazing to see him. And he's a good goalie. In fact, he's a front runner for the Vesna, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he's probably a front runner right now. I mean, Boston is absolutely just mowing people down at this point. And they just got better, too. I mean, we can talk about that a little bit. Didn't they, uh, I think they acquired two different people from the Washington Capitals. So, um, Kyle, you can look that up while while um, I'm talking about it. But, yeah, I mean, uh, he is the beneficiary of a really great team. But uh, to go back to the goalie goal, it was a very clean goalie goal, much like Pekka's. Uh, I mean, Puck was kind of, Trickled. I think it was like a turnover play, kind of like mess up on their part. Um, I will say Pekka's was a little further, and it was like from behind the net area. But, uh, I mean, super clean. You can't go wrong. And I think he actually participated in the uh, the goalie challenge in the All-Star break for trying to shoot it at the net because Soros participated in that one as well. So uh, he was a little bit warmed up, I guess, for uh, the actual game. And uh, he, he, man, he sunk that. Uh, do you have the players that were... We're traded. Yeah, I do. Right there in front of you. Uh, so who do who did they get? A bunch. So it was a three-way trade. So Boston acquired Garnet Hathaway and Andre Svechkov from Washington, and from Minnesota they got Dmitry Orlov. Minnesota came in as a trade partner. Ah, uh, yeah. Picked up Dmitry Orlov from Washington as well, 
So yeah, it went from Mitchell. I went from Washington to Minnesota to yeah, Boston. It was just retaining that salary, I think. So yeah. so Boston gave Minnesota a twenty twenty three fifth round pick for that, and then uh, Washington Capitals acquired our old friend Craig Smith, Craig Smith from dude. Boston, and got a twenty three first round, twenty four third round, and a twenty five second round, and also got Andrei Svechalov from Minnesota. So one of the very rare three-way trades you see in the league. So, Matt, how do you feel about uh, Boston getting a little stronger and getting rid of your boy Craig Smith? Uh, yeah, that's fine. Who, who was it they were talking about today? Somebody else made a move for a – well, this was the opposite. So, Boston got rid of a scorer and got a defenseman. Uh, so, that's the main story is they got rid of Craig Smith and got Orlov, who's a who's defenseman. I forget who it was. The Lightning – yeah, the Lightning, was it Lightning or Tampa? Somebody else got another high defenseman and they needed to score. But yeah, Boston is on fire. So I, it's same thing though. I don't know that they needed, uh, same thing. They didn't really need any scoring. They needed a uh, defenseman. So should work out three-way trades. That's awesome. And I don't know if you guys saw, you know, your boy Shea Weber actually is now Getting paid by Vegas. Yeah. <laughs> or no, uh, Coyotes, it was. Yeah, it's yeah. the Coyotes because Vegas shed the contract so they could probably make a little bit more cap space so they wouldn't be too hard-pressed. I think they were slightly over, so they had to get, like, under. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, they had to shed that contract. So it, it's very interesting to see some of the cap jockeying that has been going on, you know, where, like, Minnesota has a little space, so they've been taking on some to get picks, which... You know, no spoiler alert, Preds are now in that situation now, or we can also do the same for facilitating uh, some cap space, and we might be dumping some more off here pretty soon. But, uh, yeah, that was uh, – and that goalie goal was awesome. Nice to see Boston is just absolutely crushing it. But, I mean, I have to, you know, I have to transition to the some of the other trades that are kind of hurting Matt a little bit, and that would be with the uh, San Jose Sharks. So, your boy – He's gone. So New Jersey snatched him up. How do you feel about this? Uh, that hurts. I love, uh, if I'm watching West Coast hockey, it's San Jose for me. I love Timo Meyer. Um, it's Timo time, baby. I watch it all the time. Timo is having the best year of his career. He's on fire. He's lighting up the NHL. So if you're ever going to trade him, now is a great time because you got a huge uh, value on him right now. But that being said, it's tough to see him go. And it was, I think, you know, within a couple of days after they, uh, they retired Patrick Marlowe's jersey, you know, Marlowe now owns Gordy, Gordy Howe's record for most games played all time. So it's a whirlwind of emotion for the Sharks as well. Uh, I, it's, especially who, I forget the other team that was in the mix. Uh, they were like, oh, he can either go to New Jersey or somebody else. And I was like, God, please not New Jersey. And it was freaking New Jersey. So I'm not going to watch New Jersey games. So. My time of seeing Timo is fastly coming to an end, I think. You mean you don't want to watch the Devils, you know, win the cup this year? You know, because, you know, they're going to, good chance they might get it. Probably jinx it just a little bit saying they're going to get it. But, no. you know, Devils have this trade with San Jose, and I'm looking at it cap friendly here. And there's a lot of conditions on the shark side for these things. So yeah. the Devils got Scott Harrington, Timo Meyer, Zachary Eman, Santeri Hataka, and Timor Abragamov. Yeah, these are all like low. And a uh, 24 fifth round pick from Colorado as well. And San Jose gets Andreas Johnson, Fabian Zetterlin, Nikita O.K. Hituk, and Shakir Mukahamadouian. 
That's the you know what? That's probably how the announcers will say enough. it too. It's close enough. It's close. It's all right. If they're if they're on an entry level contract. No, they're on zero contracts, yeah. so they're not even those are like prospects. Yeah, so it's okay if you don't know their name, Kyle. It's all right. They got a couple a couple scrubs. spare parts. Yeah. They're scrubs. What matters is the actual picks, which is a 20, 23 first round and a twenty four second round and a twenty four seventh round. So But you know, as far as the trade actually goes. It is not a surprise that Jersey wants to pick up more scores because, as you alluded to, Kyle, Jersey is actually in doing some serious business this year, which is not how it's been in the recent years, in the last 10 years. Uh, it's nice to see Jersey making some action. I like to see my underdogs kind of come in and mix it up a little bit, especially on the East Coast. You know, the East Coast is uh, really interesting this year, so it's going to make it even more juicy. But good, good on the uh, Jersey to pick up some more scoring. Well, let's take a look at the current playoff picture right now. So. In the East, the top three uh, teams in the Metropolitan is Carolina, New Jersey, and the Rangers, which the Rangers may, what I keep reading is they're trying to get in, in on Patrick Kane. I hear it's very likely to happen as well. Get up there with his boy uh, Panarin as well. Oh, man. That'd be an interesting combo. And then the Atlantic's got Boston, of course, Toronto, Tampa Bay. We've seen this win previously. I'm expecting Toronto to probably get knocked out first round again. <laughs> <clears throat> and the uh, wild card so far is the Islanders and Pittsburgh with, um, ironically, if I'm reading this right, Buffalo's not far behind, like one point out of the wild card spot. And Detroit's back, yeah. you know, three points out. Detroit, Kyle, four days ago, we were in the last wild card spot. We still got two or three games in hand, so don't be throwing disrespect on Detroit. Whoever it was, Pittsburgh freaking won last night. That screwed me. They needed to lose, but whatever. We're still in the hunt, Kyle. Well, then if you go over to the West, Matt, you got Dallas, Minnesota, and Colorado, which, uh, you know, who would have thought Minnesota would be back in the playoff race after a couple of bad years? But hey, it happens. Then you got Pacific, you've got Vegas, Los Angeles is having a year out of nowhere for them. Yeah. And then Edmonton. And then our current uh, wildcard spots for them is Winnipeg and Seattle with Calgary four points behind. And then Nashville is six points behind. And with. Two to three yeah. games at hand. Two to three games at hand. Crazy. But, you know, as we'll get into it in a few minutes, it seems like the organization has made their choice. So is this a playoff bracket you would expect to have seen at the beginning of the season? Well, what are the standouts? Uh, I think Jersey's a standout. If you want to look on, I'm still looking for a bad team in the East. They're all freaking powerhouses. In yeah. the West, it kind of surprises me that Dallas is on top of the Central. They had a flash in the pan, and what was that? Two, three years ago ish and then they they then they hit the bottom again the next year they're they're always hot or cold they're not in between so it's interesting to see them at the top edmonton only third in the pacific that's rough mcdavid is having probably the best year of his career again and they're still only third yeah for me on the west obviously dallas stands out i think uh the success of ottinger and robertson has propelled them to the front um your boy robertson and um, L.A. definitely is a weird one. I'm definitely surprised that Edmonton's only third and teetering on a wild card spot, but they don't have any defense. So, you know, who knows? I mean, McDavid's, what, on pace for, like, what, 160 points this year? Like, the like that that's insane. I mean, he, he's been absolutely lighting it up. I mean, obviously, it was a very disappointing year for the Blues. And I, quite frankly, right now, the Flames being out 
of the playoffs. I don't think Matt actually mentioned that. Right now, the Flames are technically not in the playoffs. Oh, I didn't recognize so that. So what's very interesting is the Flames and the Panthers that made that blockbuster trade. Both of the teams are out of the playoffs this the year. Panthers are remember, out right now? Yes. So remember when we were talking about that trade and we said, what if it screws up the chemistry? Remember, you and I had talked about that, Matt, because we were like, the teams were cooking. These players were fantastic. They made the big blockbuster trade, and now both of the teams are out of the playoffs. Very interesting. They were powerhouses when they made that trade. That sucks, dude. God, I didn't know. I didn't realize that. Yeah. So at this point, Eastern Conference, I mean, Eastern Conference looks pretty much like it did last year. I mean, it really does. I mean, Boston, Toronto, Tampa. The only surprise would be New Jersey, really, this year. Um, And then Buffalo being a lot better. And the Capitals probably not making it. That would be about it. But, I mean, the playoff windows, nothing's too crazy. But, like I said, uh, Calgary, I, I don't, man, they're, they're not far removed from, like, a one seed. So, that's this is a super disappointing year. I mean, like, you got to put this in perspective. The Preds right now have a better win percentage than the Calgary front Flames. And we had basically three lines the other night rolling. Like, I, I mean, it's... The Calgary fans have to be very upset with the performance that they're getting right now. And on top of it, they're not even selling. Like, we're actually embracing the sell mode. So, we're somewhere in the middle and are getting future assets now. So, I mean, I'll take it for what it's worth. You know, you mentioned uh, something a minute ago off camera. I'll take the credit for it, even though you said it. Um, it is. It kind of sucks because the East is so powerhouse right now that it almost is like, does Colorado have a free ride all the way to the Stanley Cup Finals at this point? Which sucks because that means I'm getting like finals quality matchups in the first, second, and third round of the East, which is what we had been saying for a couple of years, which is why there was talk of realignment. Some people want to go back to the one through eight and get rid of the wild card thing. There's been talk of that. You know, they did the reseeding thing a couple of years ago. Uh, it's going to be, I don't know. It sucks because I'm not a fan of Colorado. I think they're a little too hoity-toity and too cocky. I don't want to see them get sat down. So it sucks that the West is so poor that they almost have a free ride to the to the finals. Well, right now, the way it stands, I mean, Colorado just now got healthy. I mean, McCarr has been in and out injury, and McKinnon was out for a bit. They're both now just now coming back, and then they still have games at hand. So technically, they're probably going to finish first in the West. So yeah, it's it's... I do feel like that they are going to have these. And uh, to point this out, a lot of these trades, these blockbuster trades that are going on before the deadline have been all Eastern Conference teams. The West are not loading up. So what's happening is you have the bottom feeders or the middle of the road, like the Preds, are selling and getting tons of picks to get better. But the top of the West isn't buying those. So it's very interesting that Everything's going to the East. The East is basically loading, 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 basically selling the farm. I mean, at this point, the Leafs and the, the Tampa Bay Bolts are all in. I mean, they are completely in. We didn't even talk about the uh, the Leafs trade. They actually just made one with the Blackhawks for uh, Jake McCabe for a defenseman. So that actually takes them off the board in the Ekholm sweepstakes. Um, so now, I guess the front runner for that, well, we can get into that a little later. Um, but yeah, so they're now off the board for that. But I mean, that was another huge one. And that was with, once again, another Western Conference team 
that is just feasting on getting rid of players and taking advantage of it right now. And there's still other teams out there that are wanting to load up. So uh, it's going to be interesting uh, for sure. But yeah, I, I think Colorado has to be a heavy favorite right now all the way to the finals. And then whoever wins out from whoever gets out the, the, bloodbath. the bloodbath. But at that point, like, are you so banged up from, I mean, running the gauntlet? I mean, just the Atlantic. The Atlantic division alone is Boston, Toronto, and uh, Tampa Bay. That's just your Atlantic division. Good luck. I mean, like, seriously, good luck. It's going to be, it's going to be insane. I mean, Boston has lost eight games in regulation. Yeah, it's hard to see them losing. I was talking uh, to my friend from Boston uh, this week. He went to the game the other day and we were talking about it. He was like, I was like, dude, yeah, it's going to be hard to stop Boston this year. But if you want to look at some of these other blockbuster trades, you talked about, you know, New York acquired, uh, Rangers acquired Tarasenko. So everybody was like, oh, they made room for Tarasenko. So now Patty Kane is out of the deal. Apparently not. So they get Tarasenko and they're still hunting and still likely to acquire Patrick Kane, which I find incredible. I don't know what else they're going to have to swing to make it happen. But where it is before the weekend's out, Patrick Kane will will be traded in probably to the Rangers as well. Who else made the blockbuster list, Kyle? Well, you know, Preds did make that blockbuster list. That's the last biggest one. I mean, Daniel's already covered the Jets. Not the Jets, but the Leafs and theirs. And so that does lead us <clears throat> into the Preds. And so before we get to that, though, the biggest blockbuster of all for the Preds is the fact that GMDP is retiring. Basically, it came out yesterday on Sunday that pretty much effective immediately, Barry Trotz is now an advisor to the Preds for the whole the whole thing. And July 1st, GMDP is going to step down and Barry Trotz is going to take his place as a GM. And I'm, for one, actually kind of happy about this. And the press conference today, Daniel will talk about a little more. Uh, David Poyle said that about, uh, he said about three, four years ago, he was getting ready to retire. And then Barry Trotz, he was talking to him, said, I'm not going to be coaching next year, which was this year. And he said, well, how about you come on and start doing the process coming out as new general manager? So I'm excited. It's a new era for the Preds. And, you know, Preds are kind of middle of the road. We've got a three-game win streak right now. We seem to be picking some life up. But I'm glad that so far from what we've seen, we're not doing this middle of the road. We're actually going to be selling pieces off. You know, we gave Nino, we gave Nino Niederreiter to the Jets. And so, Daniel, we'll start with you. How do you feel about this? I mean, I think the timing could not have been any better. I do laugh that, you know, like people have been making memes all day. Like as soon as like he leaves, he's like, boom, saving the best trades for last because we'll get into all the Preds trades because it is crazy. And we still have a couple more that are possibly on the block literally in the next three to four days. I mean, so as this episode comes out, there's probably going to be at least one to two more trades, maybe even three, uh, which we'll get into. But I mean, here's the deal. Poyle's been getting super old, and he's been kind of seeing the writing on the wall, too. He, I mean, I don't even know. What's his age? Look that up, Kyle, for me. Just Google that. I I mean, he's got to be up there. Um, That said, you know, we owe a lot to David, and as somebody brought this up online, like, a lot of Washington's success and a lot of the Predator's success have been because of David. So regardless of how you feel about, like, winning a cup and, like, you know, how he's managed the last several years in particular, he got us to where we're going you know he is 73 that's that's pretty old yeah 
Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's time and I could not think of anybody better than Barry Trotz. He, listen, Trotz in the interview and in the post, like, you know, like the press conference, he interviews so well. He's so nice and eloquent. He's very great with the media. And Poyle talked about Trotz's development, basically how, you know, he started from basically nothing, came into the organization, he gave him a shot, like he's gone on to win a cup. Like this is a this is a coach who has been in the trenches and knows how to do it. And he knows what good players are and what it takes to win a cup, which is totally different than Poyle. Okay. So like it, it's very interesting. He has that coaching mentality, but he also was groomed by Poyle to also go to some of these prospects. He said his first year. They they said the first year as a coach, him and uh, GMDP would go to the prospects and like go to these like combine events per se and see the players and everything and do the scouting because they didn't have scouts back then. <laughs> it was their first year as a franchise, so they ended up doing all that. But I, I mean, that said, everything that Trotz is saying couldn't align better with like what the fans are wanting and what he's wanting. He he basically loves Nashville. He's like he said Nashville's home. This is where he was going to be regardless. Like he'd already bought that house, remember when like the speculation came up when he bought that house and people were like yeah. flipping out. He'd already bought the house because he was moving back to to Tennessee regardless cuz he said my kids grew up here. I love it here. Nashville is home for me. I'm coming back home regardless. And then when the opportunity came, he definitely snagged it up and um so, like, timeline of events, this is kind of interesting. Um, so, he told GMDP in December that he was basically done coaching and that he was kind of interested in, like, maybe doing the, you know, possible GM thing. So, that wasn't finalized with the ownership group until mid-January. David had already uh, waived Tolvanen in December, by the way. So, Trotz was definitely not in on that. Uh, that was the first piece of information that I looked up because I was like, one was Tolvin and Wave. It was like December 13th. And Trotz inquired about the general manager position uh, right after Christmas or right around Christmas. So very interesting to to get his comments or like, you know, whatever was going on in the background with that. Um, but that said, uh, uh, Trotz wants to win a cup. He doesn't want to just get in the playoffs. Okay, so that's the mentality difference is the last several years, it's been like getting to the playoffs. Let's see what can happen. I mean, let's be honest. That's we've heard that said multiple times. Trotz literally said in the and he's in the interview. He was like, no, he's like, I saw what it was like to win a cup in Washington and take it to the streets. And he's like, Nashville deserves that. That's what we want to bring to Nashville. That's literally what he said in the like. And I'm like, that's what you want. And I'm sure the new ownership wants that too and i guarantee you when when was it that they announced that the preds were actually being sold was it a year ago about a year and a half ago sometime in the summer i thought okay so we know that there's like the stage process like every year or so like more of it's getting bought up by the new ownership bill haslam and i guarantee you what has been happening recently is because the team has been in such a mediocre state when they signed that contract and said hey you know our due diligence is to buy the team, but also right now we're not very happy with what's going on with the team. I guarantee you there was a lot of pressure from new management coming in to let's go ahead and get this process rolling a little bit quicker and let's get some new blood in. Because I, I guarantee you that had to have factor in 
and him just stepping down randomly. Um, so that said, I, I just don't see Poyle just like, you know, quietly going off into the sunset immediately. And on top of that too, they're still letting him be as an advisor. So he can still like talk to trots if he needs some advice. And he said he's surrounded himself with all the best people. His son, Brian also is a great with the cap. So he's still staying on in the front office. So you're basically just getting the new management's idea of what they're really wanting. And they want a cup. They don't want just this mediocre status of first round exits, but from everything that I saw on the press conference, I mean, I'm super ecstatic. And then, uh, you know, we, we're just now waiting on a possible coaching change. So we'll, we'll see what happens with that. Uh, because he also did mention, Trotz also did mention that he wants a relationship like he had with Poyle. Interesting to know. Well, Matt, what do you think about this? Well, um, we'll start with that. I think everybody as a fan base in Nashville can appreciate since Trotz has a history here and he's known to be a guy that everybody likes, that means he's garnered everybody's respect. And, you know, when compare and contrast that to when John Hines came in, nobody liked Hines. He didn't have a great reputation. He's not known for like a championship caliber kind of, you know, skill set. He comes in and nobody knows him, but Everybody knows Trotz because he was a coach here back in what I call the prime Preds years, you know, back in the glory days of the Preds, mustard jersey days. Um, so with Trotz coming home is almost like him coming back to his hometown. And uh, and I feel like that will resonate with the fans. He has a great reputation. He won a cup in, in, in with uh, Washington. He's got a reputation. Uh, he's got a relationship, excuse me, with, with David Poyle. So David Poyle can kind of teach him and train him. So they work well together. He's great with the media. I think he's going to have a rapport with the fan base. And I think he's going to have as good of a skill set. He might be kind of a young up-and-comer, but he's been in the league for a while. He's been in Nashville for a while. So as far as people who could land in this spot, I'll take if I have to take a rookie GM, I'm taking him all day long. And you mentioned the new ownership group. I, I have thrown that idea around. I wonder how much of that played into the decision of was, was David Boyle essentially forced out or kind of asked to politely step aside? Because you look at kind of that first round, just get in the playoffs and maybe first round exit mentality that the Preds have had since what, five or six years since 2017. Um, That's been the mentality and Boyle hasn't really made any decisive steps with the roster. He's kind of been middle of the road all the time. So all of a sudden, you say, well, he steps down, uh, Trotz comes in, and now you've got three or four massive roster trades being made right now. I feel like that only happened because Trotz is coming in. So with Trotz coming in, you're really seeing, even before he's official yet, I think it's supposed to be in July when it takes effect, but even before it's official, Trotz has already got his fingerprints on the roster and the organization to show where he wants it to go and in, in the direction he wants to put it in. He could have went. He could go sell. He could go buy. But at least he's picking a freaking side of the road. And I feel like that was one of Poyle's almost like er- errors in that he couldn't make a decision. So at least we can see that. Um, but I am curious how much of it was him being asked to leave. Maybe he's got such a rapport that he wasn't asked. But you know, some behind the scenes, they might have said it might be time. You know, we got new ownership coming in. We're kind of thinking we want to do this different style of direction for the Preds. So. Maybe it's time. Well, then let's get into the trades that we've had with the Preds over the last uh, several days. So 
As I said earlier, starting on February 25th, Nashville sends Nino Niederreiter, who happens to be uh, one of Roman Yossi's best friends, as Niederreiter said today, to Winnipeg. And Nashville received a 24 second round pick. And they was also able to clear about 4,000, um, so not 4,000, 4 million out of the cap space, which was good. And, you know, my first thought was, that seemed kind of low for Niederreiter, considering the success he had in Carolina and then coming over to us. And I was like, okay. But, you know, we didn't know what was about to happen because that was like the first shot. And then out of nowhere, you get on the 26th, which was Sunday, word had been spreading that Janot was being looked at to be traded to Tampa. Yeah, he was benched for the game, actually. Yeah, and so we didn't know. And you see, you, you look at people going, this is an undrafted player. What are we going to get for him? <laughs> and when I think everybody's jaws collectively dropped on the floor when we saw what was given. So here, if you don't know what it is, here's what the Preds gave to Tampa. Tanner Janot. <laughs> what did Tampa give Nashville? Cal Foot. And so then we get a, yes, Matt? It's interesting to note about Cal Foot because um, he doesn't have a lot of name recognition. I happen to know of him. Know of him but I don't just watch, you know, Preds hockey. The better backstory of Calfoot, he's on an entry-level deal still, but the backstory that you need to know with Calfoot is that he was a first-round draft pick. So in, in addition to the list you're about to run off, you can add another first-round draft pick in yeah, Calfoot. This is insane. This is insane. I still can't get over this trade. Well, then, let's, re- let's clarify this then. Former first-round draft pick Calfoot, a 23 third round draft pick, a 23 fourth round draft pick, a 23 fifth round draft pick, a 24 second round draft pick, and a 25 first round draft pick, which is conditional as a top 10 protected. And what that means is that if Tampa draws uh, in 2025's draft, if they draw in the top 10, the pick stays with them. But if they end up having a bad year and they end up drawing under 10 in 25, then the pick goes to Nashville. And also, that's quite a haul, boys. And like I said, people's reaction was like, what the heck? I think it was like uh, somebody said one, I guess one GM texted some of the media people was like, what the actual heck was that? You know, using foul language, of course, because it was like, what in the world? No one's expecting this. And like I said, the guy is undrafted and he's a known fighter. And I've seen a lot of people saying Tampa overpaid for this. And so uh, a lot. I mean, Shoot, I, I, when I saw, like, here's the deal, I like Tanner Janot. Like, we've been, you know, like, we, we all have been on here on record for saying that they we love Tanner Janot. Tanner Janot is having a bad year this year. So the fact that his stock was down, and then all of a sudden, like, you get five picks. Cap Friendly didn't even have a five-pick uh, trade in their database until now. It, it's Tanner Janot. He's undrafted. Yeah. See ya. Uh, nice to Genoa. So there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm taking the picks. I, I'm taking all. That's an insane amount for an undrafted player. Like, blows my mind. All the GMs are stunned. And like, David just saved like one last fleece, I guess, for, for, for the end there. But I'm not going to count Tampa Bay out. Uh, they always go all in for their players. They always do. And they tend to. Condition them well and definitely have a great record of player development. So I'm sure Tanner Janot is going to do just fine for them. But I mean, this is this is a lot 
for an undrafted player. Yeah. You know, you look at it, that's just a first round draft in, in Calfa. So a first round player, first round draft, second round, third round, fourth round, fifth round. It's a whole draft. Club. Why, I, I can't <laughs> think of a player in the league you would do that deal for. Tanner Joe, somebody said on Twitter, oh, is that a, is that a bad trade? Oh, well, let me let me Google Tanner Janot real quick, and then I'll tell you in a minute, because nobody knows who he is. Uh, yeah, we love him as a Nashville fan, but if you thought Nino Niederreiter was only worth a second round pick, I'm thinking Tanner Janot is like a second, like a third round, second and a third. I don't know. Like, it ain't worth all that. That's crazy. And it, it's very difficult for us to put into perspective like a monetary number for what is what is a player worth in draft picks? But I think when you look at it from the perspective of Cal Foot was a first round, okay, well now that helps me kind of figure out where do players line up in the in the pecking order of how significant each um, each round of a pick is. But any way you slice it, you don't have you don't have to be a Nashville hometown fan to know that uh, Tampa massively overpaid for Jano here, and the only logic is that you know this was the player they're looking for. They wanted a gritty, tough tough guy young guy too he's also younger than Niederreiter by six years so that's important to know yeah but even if that's the guy you want I heard Nashville is only asking two picks I forget exactly which which rounds but they were only asking for two picks and they got what five picks and a player I just don't understand how that happened so I had to look I was like okay who's the freaking GM for Tampa it's it's Julian Bourgeois which is he's been in the league for like a decade though he's been under like Eisenman shadow and Eisenman was the best trade maker in the league when he was GM for Tampa. That's why Tampa kicked so much tail in the last five years is because Eisenman was in charge and now he was under his wing. So it's really catches me off guard to see this GM make what I would consider a rookie move because this is a significant overpay. Well, if you look at Cat Friendly's uh, acquisition of draft picks for Nashville for this coming draft, that's going to be in Nashville this summer. They've got a first-round pick of their own, second-round pick of our own. We've got a third-round pick of our own. We also have now San Jose and Tampa's third-round picks. We have our own fourth round. We have Toronto and Tampa's fourth-round pick. We have our own fifth round, and we have Tampa's fifth round. And then we have our own sixth. The only round we're not going to be drafting in this year is the seventh round. And when you get to 24, we've still got a first. We've got three seconds. We have a third. We've still got plenty of three draft picks. Seconds it's in the 20. 20- 24 is insane. And then we have two firsts in the 25. I, I, I mean, this is crazy, but we haven't even gotten to the point where there's two other players that are highly likely to be gone already like this week as well. So on top of these picks, we also have a top 10 prospect pool right now. We do. Right, it's right at the top 10. So Milwaukee's been killing it. It's supposed to be, but... I I really am looking for uh, your coach Hines to leave. That way, I can see the oh, fruits of that labor. Oh, I, I fully agree. Which that's the last thing we will get to on the list here. But we have a top ten prospect pool coming up. You still have several of these Russian players that need to get signed. I know. I think it's Vesnikov and some others. Uh, Askarov is already over here killing it. We have Evangelista. We have some of the other ones that have already been coming over and doing well in uh, in Milwaukee. Milwaukee's been doing a fantastic job for us. Um, but then on top of this, you're, you're talking, oh, uh, yeah, that's another one. Uh, Joe Kim in the Finnish league, there's a possibility he comes over, uh, Zachary 
He's supposed to come over. So yeah, I mean, this is crazy. You got Egoat still on there as well. Um, so yeah, um, it, you're looking really good as far as prospects are going. And um, so we can also try to discuss some of the other possible trades that we have on the block here too. And that's Fabro, which I've been hearing rumblings of the Sharks for whatever reason. I don't know why they're extremely interested in Fabro. What do you think the return is for Fabro, considering contract length left, how much is on his salary, and how young he is? Because what does he have? He's going to be a restricted free agent coming up. So I don't know what he's going to get, but he's also very young. He's he's 24 years old. So what do you think you try to get for Dante? I, I don't know if you get a well, first round. Well, I mean, if you get all that for Janot, I say sky's the limit. I mean, you. I think that was a. I think it's a one-time thing because it's also the sharks too. They're in poverty, <laughs> like they're they're in rebuild mode too. So I don't see them giving up the farm. It's it's almost like this, Kyle. If you go to dinner with say a billionaire, they're gonna they're gonna have wine and steak flowing, and even their dogs get like the scraps of like just gold flakes of just the finest bounty that man can muster. But if you go to somebody else's house, like my house. We're scrapping for some, you know, popcorn and things of that nature. We're not going to be letting too much steak slide off just for, just for the, in, a, in the sakes of a trade. So Tampa is that way. Tampa is a perennial powerhouse. Brisbane thinks he's got all the right pieces now, and they can afford it. They can afford to, say, overspend. But the Sharks, like you said, they are kind of not in the dumpster, but they yeah, definitely close. <laughs> they uh, are in that in that area, and they're not going to be letting too much of that extra extra juice go the other way. I get what you're saying. I understand it. That's how it should work. But we've also seen that when the trade market gets heated up, that trades like this also become setting the bar for other players that see that person was worth that. I'm drafted. That's an undrafted player getting that. But I'm a drafted player and I've got better points than he does. I should be worth more than that. And that's what I'm concerned about is that we have this bar now set so high for an undrafted player. What happens to the other players that are now, one, trying to get traded, and two, the ones who are going UFA or RFA? They're going to see that and that's going to dictate down the road what's going to possibly happen with people. Well, that's why I think Fabro is dealt is because we've been kind of low on him anyways and he is RFA. So Honestly, I think if anything, they dump them for the salary dump and because they know they're not going to pay them at the end of the day. So they, if they're if you can get a second round pick, they're probably dumping them. And they're probably saying, okay, we'll take the second round pick. You have to deal with the contract at the end of the year. Good luck. We don't want anything to do with it. We'll take that pick and we'll also clear cap space, which they could also use to facilitate some of these other deals like Patrick Kane going to New York. They could take on some of the salary for a year. Oh, I'll take another pick as well. You see what I mean? Like, that's the whole thing is like now that the Preds are building like this draft capital and the space, they now can facilitate and be the third party in some of these trades as well. So dump Fabro, maybe not get as much as you technically want, but you're also clearing space and then you get another pick from it. So it kind of evens out a little bit more. But to Matt's point, I don't think the Sharks, if the Sharks are the front runner, you're probably not going to get a ton from the Sharks. Now, on the flip side, the other person that we're going to talk about possibly leaving, Ekholm, uh, the team that's wanting him, well, he's a top four defenseman. We're definitely going to want at least a first rounder and some change to go with it. 
uh, it's the Oilers, which are more all-in mode because, well, they got Connor McDavid. So, of course, like, what better way? They're, they're wanting to improve their defense because it sucks, and they want a left-handed uh, defenseman. Well, guess what? We have a premier uh, defenseman who shoots left, and he's also a top-four pair, and he's locked in at a very good, friendly contract at $6.75 million. We'll probably retain some of that salary. Who knows? Maybe for a year or two or whatever for them to work it out. But that will be the juicy trade uh, that I would be interested in after the Fabro one is I think Ekholm could get a very good command. You're talking about another at least one first-round pick and probably maybe a two or three on top of it. So um, what do you think? I mean, what do you think Ekholm's price is worth? to a team like the Oilers, who would be more all-in, kind of like in your billionaire status, as you said. I agree that they could be a potential contender, but currently oh, currently the Oilers have, what is this, cap space? They have less than a million in cap space, and they have three players on LTIR. So they're going to have to make a move to accommodate that. It's not like they just have the money in the bank to spend, like, say, uh, Tampa or somebody, they're going to have to make a move to accommodate that. Well, that goes back to my whole situation. Uh, how many people are leaving or like unrestricted or free agents? Do you have that pulled up? Or can you see it really quick on the Oilers for the Oilers this this coming year? Like who's who could they cut? Because I have a feeling that if Ekholm moves to a team right now that really needs him, like the Canes, the Canes are also interested. The Canes are looking at a left a left handed defenseman. Um. So you at what? Oh, yeah. They have a ton Lari, this year, but Lari next year. Is $3 million. Well, that's the whole point is what the whole thing with the cap space dump right now is we could literally retain 100% of Ekholm's salary for the rest of the year. Why not? And then you could say, oh, at that point, like, it's on you. You know what I mean? Like, but yeah. we could retain that contract for at least one full year, and we have plenty of cap space. We could do that easily. He's already built into our cap. So so what's the point of doing that just to get him off your books for next year, just so you can make cap space? Why would you Why would you be interested in letting Ekholm go unless you're just continuing the, you're getting the picks. rebuild mode for, yeah. say, five years? You'd, you'd get the picks, and then next year he would be completely gone and off your books too. So you would get the cap space next year of 6.5 million back the next year and you would still get the picks going forward plus it would allow the Oilers to load up this year and go all the way in knowing that they're going to have to cut somebody next year next year they have 10 RFAs and UFAs that's my whole point is they already know that next year there's probably several players that aren't coming back so they could technically take on Ekholm and be like okay well we'll just deal with it now Nashville you keep the salary just let us go on this cup run with him and then basically just let him be a loner for the one year and we'll give you a couple of draft picks as you know compensatory i mean it it could work but i don't know and i don't know what um what's carolina look like they're probably they're right at zero too so i mean they would have to figure out some some hoops as well so it it is definitely a larger contract but there's ways to do it because the preds have that cap space right now to be able to do it Gives you more flexibility to be able to deal one way or the other. Yeah. Exactly. So let me ask you another question then since we're talking about Ekholm. What would you say if somebody said, we'll take Saros off your plate? Would you do it? Because the rumor mill has been talking about Saros may be getting traded. There's some people inquiring about him. And if they were to get rid of him, that is, let me pull up it here. 
Ekholm is 6.2 and Saros is 5. That's 11.2 million off your cap space that comes on because you have Askarov in the wings. And so would it be possible to trade Saros and bring Askarov off and have him become our, basically our new 1A goalie with Lankinen, you know, backing him up for another year? Well, I got quite some feelings on it. Um, I like the idea of keeping team identity. Um, you can say a thing about a team being in a rebuild mode, but as a fan of the organization, when you go to the game, you have to have somebody to root for. So when they lost Tolvanen, that was my guy. So I'm pissed off that you lost Tolvanen for nothing. At least when you let go of Janot, you got a heck of a return. But that was after Tolvanen left, Janot was my guy. You lost my guy again. At some point, you have to keep core identity. You remember when Weber got traded, Subban got traded, Rene retired. You had uh, Arvidsson left, um, the redheaded beard guy left, Ellis. You, how many pieces of the team move away until you stop recognizing the team as who it was and who you fell in love with? There's only a couple pieces left to the organization that you real that you can feel and recognize as having team identity. Yossi, Soros, Ekholm, Forsberg. I think those are the core identities. I would be willing to deal them potentially. It really is just a matter of how much you're willing to commit to a rebuild. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. I'm I'm definitely not for selling Soros. I think he still has several years of like just absolutely incredible hockey left. And Doing that means you are full fire. I mean, like that is a full fire sale because even with start like even the other night, like we started with like three forward lines, won the game. Saros is still in net. Like he's going to be erasing a lot of sins with your terrible team in front of you. So you can still have that in the time being. But if a team calls, you're obviously not gonna like say, oh, he's untouchable right now because you're seeing some of these returns. Like I mean, the Genoa one was crazy. But it would have to be astronomical for me to get rid of Saros. I'm talking like, I, I don't even know, like what, what, what would be a good return for Saros at this point, but you're talking multiple first-round picks, if not prospects. You, you know what I mean? Like, it, it's got to be an insane amount for me to part with Saros because you'd basically have to make me an offer that I could not refuse, and then I would, I would go for it. But at that point, I... At the end of the day, I don't think Saros is traded. I think teams have called, and it did sound like that the Kings were very interested. But I don't, I don't think we get rid of them. Matt, you're forgetting one of your boys of the franchise you haven't thought about. Who's that? Ryan Johansson. I wish he's you not guys going anywhere. Well, he's injured now too. Yeah. Well, oh, that was another point to mention. Um, let me look at the uh, the Preds injury list. Uh, right now, Forsberg is uh, out still, and Johansson's out. And there's a couple other little dudes uh, in there as well. So I was wondering or if, wiki. yeah, I was wondering if that little list right there of how injured the Preds are helped push that determination that okay, now is the right time to go into cell mode. But as far as Saros is concerned, I don't think you can one v one him for Lankinen. Yeah, Lankinen might be suitable, but goalies are so fickle. You've even seen it at the best goalies in the league one year you win the Vesna next year yeah. you're trash next year you get injured Soros has been repeatedly excellent every exactly. year and I don't want to risk that over yeah. nobody who's an AHL player yeah there's a ton of AHL greats whoop-de-doo 
I want long-term sustainability in a goalie, which is hard to find, and health, which is hard to find for goalies. So it's almost like I think you're selling your soul if you sell Soros. It, you would certainly command a high price for him, but for team identity, I think you got to keep him. And yeah, you can you can full sell the whole freaking team, but then it's like, why don't you just sell the whole team and move move it to Ottawa somewhere? Like Jesus, you got to keep some part of the team so you can keep a fan base coming in. And I think Soros is part of that because if you look, um, in my opinion, Yossi is a weak leader. Rene would have warned the C if goalies were allowed to wear the C. So Soros, I think, helps pick up the leadership in what maybe Yossi is a little bit weak in. I don't think you can afford to lose Yossi. You've lost I mean, uh, Soros. You've lost so many pieces already that if you do, I think you're selling your soul. Yeah, I, I think at the end of the day, he stays. Obviously, Yossi's untouchable. Um, Forsberg is untouchable, and probably Matt Duchesne. Those are probably those are probably like the four that you 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 keep. I mean, if somebody did inquire about Matt and it was through the roof, then yeah, you're going to trade him because he has an eight million dollar contract. But that said, Matt Duchesne's also had very decent production, so I I can't fault him uh, comparatively to like um, Johansson or even Granlund. Granlund's been really bad this year, which has not been good. That was. A signing that looked really good on paper immediately, and then all of a sudden, like he just seems slow. The other night at the game that we were at, Kyle, he looks like he's lost his step. You mean that John Hines system stuck him in the mud where he can't produce? Shocker. I, well, last season when he was with Hines, he had like how many assists? Yeah. He he looks physically slow this year. I don't know how to put it. Like in perspective, we were at the game, the Canucks game, and he just looks like he's lost his edge, and I don't know what it is. But the Heinz thing, which we can segue into that as the last subject, I, I think the writing is on the wall already for Heinz. Trotz is a coach. He's coming in with a coaching mentality, and he knows how to coach. He basically started the Preds. He went to the Capitals, won a couple with the Capitals, almost won a couple of cups with the Islanders because they made a couple runs, and guess who stopped them? It was the Tampa Bay Lightning who went back-to-back-to-back. To back to back. So the only... The only teams that are actually like putting trots out were the ones winning the championships as well. Um, I think he knows that Hines isn't his guy because he knows how he coaches. Trotz knows how he wants the system to be coached, and he knows hockey systems probably better than Poyle. Yeah, because but- because he is a coach, and I don't think he's gonna like. But even systems, like you might not like Daryl Suter's system, but he's a very successful coach in Calgary. He's been around the league a long time. You can it's like a it's like a chess player. You can be tactical or you can be strategic with your positional systems. There's different ways to skin the cat, but you have to respect talent where talent is. And even it's like two strikes against John Hines. Not only does he not have a track record, but he also doesn't preach the system that trots would like to have the nashville run underneath so i think it's two strikes changing the ownership group changing the gm and the weakest piece of the puzzle for the last two years we've been preaching and has been the coaching has been john hines so he's the last domino to fall i'm surprised he wasn't the first one to fall but at least with these drastic changes i think we're likely to see at least so at least we're hoping so the preds fans i think as a whole collectively want want to see john hines can well i mean that brings in um, the possible subject, who do you want to replace? I've seen um, Carl Taylor 
from Milwaukee thrown out as possible, which I'm like, I wouldn't be opposed to that. He's already in the, the organization. He has a great relationship with everybody, whatever. But you also have this time around, th- there's a key, key difference. When we fired Lavi, Hines was like the only option. This time there are coaches available. Like good quality coaches. I've heard rumblings of possibly the assistant coach from Boston. And also, you know, Bruce is sitting on the sideline too. So Bru- I, Bruce is who I want to be our coach. If we're going to change it, bring a Bruce. That would be, I mean. Be awesome, but I don't think that's going to happen. I don't know how realistic it is, but I mean, it would be legit. Could you imagine literally within like just a little period of time you have Trotz as GM and Bruce's. It, it would be wild to see that relationship because I feel like they would actually be kind of cool to watch together. But uh, I don't know. Like uh, I like I said, I don't. Who's actually this list right here? I've got. I don't yeah, know how yeah. updated this is. No, but go ahead, list. say it. I, I know um, there's several key. Bruce great. Cassidy, Paul Maurice, Joe Quinville, John Tortorella, uh, not anymore. Claude Julien, Jim Montgomery, Elaine Vignon. I think he's assistant now, but still available for a head coach. Well, that's the thing. Pete is, DeBoer and Rick Tockett now off the list. But there, there's uh several assistants that I think are going to get taken like yeah, yeah. like like I said the assistant to Boston is one that's on everybody's list because Boston's just been yeah. mowing people down this year so it's uh, like but I will say uh as a reference to you said potentially the um Milwaukee guy coming up Detroit did this like five years ago they brought in their AHL affiliate head coach and then he lasted two or three years in the league and then they canned him because and he's been through the system with with their farm team for you know Five years or so, he knew all the players come up through the system. Same thing with this uh, Milwaukee guy, but it did not work for Detroit. I'm just not a huge fan of hiring new blood. We talked about it. It used to be a very closed loop in the league where there was not a lot of new blood in the league. There's a little bit now, but there's still a lot of old blood that's ready to, uh, that's free for the taking, uh, that's sitting on like assistant benches and assistant coaches' roles that we could potentially have slide over, say like an Elaine Vigneault or, or somebody like that. Uh, there's a lot of options, so we'll see. It's exciting, though, because that means you got me something to look forward to, and I feel like there's a light at the end of the tunnel as opposed to having to look at the same dead duck all day, every day. So, Daniel, you told me as I was getting ready to get this all ready to go and give Matt his spotlight, you said we got one more thing that looks like it's going to happen probably tomorrow when this episode's already going to be out. Yeah, and that looks like Patrick Kane will be a Ranger. I know that's been speculated, but they're – this guy said he's like 99% sure, and he followed it up with an update saying it'll be sometime tonight into tomorrow. There's no details on the trade. Like, we don't know, like, what they're given for it or if there's a third party, you know, trying to facilitate some of his, uh, I mean, what is his cap hit? It's got to be at, like, eight, right? So, I mean, it's it's very high. So, I, I'm sure that there's going to be a lot of moving pieces with this one, but this is a big one. And definitely an end of an era. Patrick Kane is no longer a Blackhawk, which I don't know if I'd ever thought I would say, but he is going to officially be a Ranger for a playoff run with Panarin. That's going to be very interesting to see. And Tarasenko and Zabinijad. I love Zabinijad, by the way. Talk about a top four. I mean, that that's incredible. So, um, I don't know. So that's, that's hot off the press. We'll take that one as it will. And hopefully we'll get more information on that in the coming hours. Okay, Matt, what stats we got for you today? 
Yeah, a couple of things we'll end the show on, Kyle. I, I like to mention um, now we have announced that Pecorine statue is going to be unveiled March 25th. That's a Saturday game. I think I was supposed to go to the game the weekend before that, but I think I'm going to change and go to that game. <laughs> that's a better <laughs> Good idea. Call. Um, so that's very exciting. We were pumped up to see that, so I'm glad to see it announced. And uh, as soon as it is, I thought it was going to take longer than that. So these things tend to take forever. Um, also, as we're going by, I'd just like to give a little sailor's hat tip to my boy Tolvin and now has 10 goals in 22 games. That's more than eight players on the Preds. So sorry to see you go, buddy. I'll be, I'll be thinking about you. It's like, you know, the picture of, uh, the guy who you're thinking about all night, you know, the Wolverine meme. Yeah, that's that. Um, but for some records, um, now John Gibson is only the second goalie, uh, in history and the first one since 1955 to have three 50 save performances in one month period. So he's been on freaking fire. He was also the guy they were getting. The team had a whole line fight the other night, and John Gibson went out to the center ice to get in a fight with a goalie fight with the other guy, and the refs held the other guy back. And then some idiot media guy on Twitter said, oh, we know we want to see goalie fights. They're exciting, but they're bad for the game. And everybody was like, what are you talking about bad for the game? Everybody wants to see a goalie fight. That would be the best thing in the world. It's like old school Mighty Ducks time, man. It's not bad for the game, you idiot. So it sucks that he didn't get in, uh, in a goalie fight. We all wanted to see it, but that's all right. He's been kicking butt. And then I'm going to give a hat tip to my boy, Mark Giordano, son. Talked about trades. Well, guess what? He is now the all-time leader in block shots. My boy, Mark Giordano. It's kind of a putting the body on the line. For sure, Kyle. So, Daniel, what games we got coming up? Oh man, we're going to try to run the gauntlet here of some easier games right before the deadline, but we do have Pittsburgh, which is a game that Matt will be glued to considering the standings. Uh, Pittsburgh coming up, then Florida, Chicago, Vancouver, uh, Arizona, and LA Kings. So hopefully sometime in that near future. Oh, and Anaheim. So this is a very easy stretch for the Preds the next two weeks. Uh, I guess that was fortunate or unfortunate, but uh, take that as you will. you need all the points you can get at this point. Um, we'll see, but the trade deadline is March the 3rd, so we only have two games before then. So uh, if we have any more movement, it will be in the next two to three days. So you're about to see a lot of stuff go down. Um, so, yeah, that'll be it, and we should be recording by then, and hopefully we'll know every single pick that we have, all uh, 30 of them probably at that point over the next couple of years. So. And who knows, by this point, we could have traded Matt for somebody else. So uh, Upgrade, maybe. That's right. But guys, thank you for joining the show today. If you like us, you can find us on YouTube at Music City Gold. You can also follow us on Twitter at Music City Gold for all of our hot takes. Or you can also find us on PenaltyBoxRadio.com. Until next time, we will see you on the ice. You've been listening to Music City Gold on the Penalty Box Radio Network. We'd love to interact with you on Twitter. The show can be found at Music City Gold. You can find Kyle at Kyle Hancock, Daniel at Steve Dan Drum, and Matt at MattBain31. Past episodes of the show can be found by subscribing to Music City Gold or Penalty Box Radio on iTunes or at PenaltyBoxRadio.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you on the ice.